0: Hey, Jacob's Well Online, my name is Jenna Kaiser. I'm the formation director here at Jacob's Well. I'm excited to bring you a message this weekend about the Israelites' time in the wilderness and their responsive grumbling towards all that God had provided to them. We're called to be a people who respond with hope in the midst of toxic grumbling, and I hope you see that in this message. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. If you didn't catch it in the video, my name is Jenna Kaiser. I'm the formation director here at Jacob's Well. Lots of times when people meet me out in the gathering area, they usually say, oh, you're the girl on the videos. Uh, lots of times I'm on the announcement videos up front, but that's not my full-time gig here. As the formation director, it's my job to make sure that Christ gets to be formed in you. Um, if that sounds like a big thing, it is. I don't know all the right things all the time, but I love this great emotive verse from the book of Galatians that says, um, from Paul saying, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I don't know what it's like to be in the pains of childbirth, but I currently do love the hard and good work of creating classes and group systems and structures, welcoming new people all so that Christ would be formed in us, that we become more like the people he has created us to be. When I'm not at work, I am at home with my husband, Sean, um, and I made a very good decision when I got married. Uh, I'm definitely married up, okay? Is anybody else married up in this room? If you're smart and married, you would raise your hand right now. I gave you a really great opportunity there. <laughs> I, I married up uh, because my husband, Sean, he is kind, he is gentle, he's even-keeled, he's honest, he's, he's everything that I am not, and so it is good that I have him in my life, and the best thing about Sean is that he loves leftovers, I know that's not like a thing you check off on your checklist of things you want in a future partner like tall, dark, handsome, loves leftovers, but leftovers are a big deal in our house because I hate leftovers. I don't know what it is about reheated food, what it is about eating the same thing day after day, but I just can't do it, and luckily Sean loves leftovers, so he eats them all for us. So we go out to eat. I don't finish my meal. Sean eats my leftovers. I cook too much for dinner. Sean eats my leftovers for lunch every single day of the week. It is a dream to have Sean in my life. Now, the only problem with uh, not paying attention to leftovers is that when we go out of town, I don't think about the leftovers. Now, I, I think that uh, good adults clean out their fridge or something like that before they go out of town, but uh, we are not those people. Uh, we do not clean out our fridge before we go out of town, so we'll go away on a trip for a while, we will come back rested, rejuvenated, and then you'll have that awful moment after a day of travel where you're like, what are we going to eat for dinner? So like, well, let's just see what we have in the fridge. You open the door. Oh no, the leftovers, the leftovers, it's rotted my whole fridge, right? So I have to go through every single Pyrex container, dumping out food into the trash, feeling guilty that I'm dumping out food into the trash. And then I think I'm done, but I check the sour cream and the salsa and the yogurt and the milk. Sure enough, they're all bad. Everything is rotted. It's like there's an infection in my fridge or something like that, where it just goes from thing to thing, from corner to corner, and my whole fridge has rotted, And I don't tell you this so that you never ask to come over to my house or because you know my bad cleaning habits or something like that. I tell you this because I think there are other things in our life that feel a little bit like um, a fridge going toxic, going from corner to corner. And today I want to talk to you about this thing called grumbling. I think it's the same. Grumbling has a monopoly on toxic. Grumbling is the worst. It messes with everything. Grumbling people mess with everything. So let me just ask you this. Do you like when somebody grumbles? Are grumbling people like the people you like to hang out with? It's sort of like that moment you're on a sports team, and you're all pumped up to win the big game. And then somebody comes who's on the team, and something went wrong, and they start grumbling about it. And one by one, it sort of starts to infect the whole team, where you're just like, man, I do not feel pumped up to win this game anymore. So everyone's trying to, like, shake off the grumbler, but it sort of just follows you around. Or it can happen in a marriage. So sometimes uh, maybe you've been outside of the house working all day long or you're the one at home working to prepare things and you reunite with your spouse at the end of the night and somebody says something about somebody who hasn't done something right. I'm not going to say who it was in the relationship, but suddenly whatever you anticipated about enjoying with your spouse that evening, it turns into this rift between the two of you that sort of lingers and follows you around for the rest of the night. It's almost like a rotten smell following you around the whole night. Or um, maybe you're working on a project at work or a group project at school, which are the worst, and in those moments somebody comes in and they're grumbling about the class or the coworkers or the teacher or whatever the project is, and the whole, the whole group of people starts to grumble after a little bit, and suddenly any, any plan of actually doing the project, actually finishing whatever you're supposed to accomplish, totally flies out the window because the grumbling has affected a whole group of people. Or maybe, this one might be the worst, uh, that grumbler on social media. So I know we all have that friend who posts things online that we, they're just mad about something and they let everybody else know it. And you know that you can unfollow them or unfriend them, but nobody's really sure if anybody really notices that thing. And so we don't do it because we don't know what happens. And you read their comments and you do the thing that you tell yourself not to do and you click the comments. And one by one, it's people grumbling on both sides of the issue, back and forth, back and forth. And suddenly your whole news feed is toxic everything is through this lens of toxicity on your on your social media and it's not just other people we too are subject um, to the to grumbling um, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal but let me ask you this do you like yourself when you grumble do you want to be a person who grumbles or a person who offers hope that's the question we get to ask this morning Grumbling is a toxic problem. It messes things up. It spreads. It doesn't just stay in that marriage or that team or that group that you're working with. It travels from person to person, from thing to thing, and everything that it touches, it rots. Now, the Israelites are no exception to this. If you've been with us for a while in our series of wilderness and wandering, uh, you might have already noticed that the Israelites have a tendency to grumble, We've been in this series where we're talking about God's people who are freed from slavery, but now they're just figuring out what it means to be God's chosen people, and it's unsettling for them to not know where they're going. And so they respond to this ongoing tension, this, on, this ongoing unsettled feeling with grumbling. Time after time, they grumble. And just like the rot in the fridge, just like the kid on the sports team, just like that comment in your marriage, it spreads like wildfire. And so today we're going to jump into Exodus 16 to read about uh, the Israelites' toxic response. But before we read the scripture, would you just pray with me today? today? Jesus, you are good. Um, And we are so grateful that we get to come to this place with the privilege to worship you in public and worship um, with with hundreds of other people across the Chippewa Valley. And so I just ask that that we would be listening to you today, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, and that we would leave here knowing you more deeply and looking more like you. Amen. So the Israelites have a toxic response to all that God has provided, and they say this, and the whole congregation, so everybody, has grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So these people, they are peeved about their situation. They're not happy, and they are letting their leaders know about it. And I mean, let's think about the situation for a little bit. At this point in the text, the Israelites have been traveling for just about a month. Um, and so they've been, they've been removed from slavery, freed from slavery, and they're welcomed into this new life of freedom. And the freedom that they encounter is wilderness, this wandering Nobody thought that freedom that was initiated by the Lord God was going to end up in wandering around a desert. When the God of all creation rescues you, you're pretty sure you're going to get liberation. They wanted justice. They wanted good food. They wanted um, a whole new world that would proclaim, this is their God. This is everything you've ever wanted. New systems, new rulers, new ways to live their life. Everybody in the world would know that their God was the greatest because of what they had been given after they had been removed from slavery. And instead, they found this life of unpredictability with desolate food and land, limited water, fearing their lives as they're left vulnerable to not just threats of the environment, but threats of other people and the violence they might have against them. So they're hungry, they're tired, they're directionless, and to top it all off, they're doing a cross-country road trip, on foot, and animal, uh, with their entire extended family, and they don't even know where they're going to end up. They're stuck in this in-between, they're rescued but not arrived, to say that they're unsettled is sort of an understatement. You can imagine what it would have been like to be one of the Israelites. It just takes one person to sort of elbow their neighbor and say, uh, Do you think Moses is doing this right? Do you think we should have found food by now? Do you think he actually knows God all that well? Right, you elbow one person and suddenly the murmuring, the mumbling, and the the grumbling starts to pick up. And soon enough, the whole congregation, like it says in the text, is catching this toxic grumbling. And they're like, hey Moses, I think you're doing it wrong. We'd like to go back to Egypt. We'd like to go back to slavery. They don't like their reality and so they grumble about it. And then they create an alternate storyline about what they had experienced. Our dissatisfaction and our grumbling can do the same thing. Those attitudes color what we see. We can look back at what has already happened and paint a whole different story about what actually happened. So the Israelites, they're caught up in so much toxic talk that they look back and they say slavery was better than whatever this is. They make up lies about what they were eating. It said they ate meat pots and bread to the full. And that's that's not true. They were slaves. They were not treated well. Maybe they got one piece of meat and all of a sudden, I got meat pots, bread to the full. They're crafting lies because they feel unsettled. And, and here's the worst part about the Israelites. It's easy for us to look at them and say, yeah, that, that was not the right response to God rescuing you. Um, you're hangry, you're hyperbolic, you're thinking black and white, just chill out. I think Snickers would probably endorse this. They'd say, you're hangry, have a Snickers. But here's the problem. God actually calls their grumbling rebellion. They are not even; they don't even think that their grumbling is wrong. God calls it a rebellion in other parts of Scripture, saying they were rebelling against what God had brought them, against what he had provided them. So this isn't just a heated reaction. It's not just something that was said in a callous moment. Um, this was a repeated attitude and posture that the Israelites had. And eventually God started to call them the stiff-necked people. They're rotting in this toxic negativity, and they're missing the whole point of who they were created to be. It's sort of like uh, when we look back at the glory days. Okay, uh, uh, for some people, that's high school or college. Um, and my husband told me a story once because uh, we used to work. I used to work with college students. He still does. And he saw a mom who was moving in her kid, and she was going on and on about how great college was. And then she said the most honest thing I've ever heard someone say at the end of it: "It was so great, best time of my life, and I would never do it again." And I think that's so true, right? College was, I mean, it was fun, but also I drank way too much coffee. I never slept. I wondered if my life was going to pan out. I was spending thousands of dollars to be somewhere, wondering what kind of choices I was going to make and what my life was going to turn out like. And I think the same thing can feel true when we're following Jesus. Sometimes when we follow God for a while and stuff doesn't always pan out like we like, uh, freedom doesn't look like what we had thought it was going to look like, If life gets hard and we hit those rocky stretches and we ask God things like, why did I choose this? Where is God? Has he ever been there? Isn't he providing for me in what feels so unsettling? We start to ask those hard questions that make us wonder if we actually chose the right thing, if God is actually good. We start to believe that the slavery before God might have been better than we thought it was. And the longer that it sits there, it sort of turns into this self-righteous rebellion that's not all that different from what the Israelites were doing. Grumbling will cause us to write a toxic storyline filled with lies about ourselves, about God, and in those unsettling moments, we start to question everything that God has done for us. Now the Israelites, they're wondering the exact same thing, their self-righteous, toxic attitude, their stiff-necked rebellion, that grumbling has led them to question who God even is, and God God responds to them. He says this, then the Lord says to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God says, my response to your grumbling is that I'm going to test you. And the idea of God testing us can create a little bit of tension in us. We start to ask questions like, does God test me? Will I ever know the answers? How do I know if God is testing me? What happens if I pass or fail said test? And so we can hold that tension with what it means for God to test. And we know here that God is testing them so that they, to see if they will walk in his law or not. So, a math test that proves if I learned the math, God's test here proves if the Israelites will, will take on the opportunity to show that they can rise above their grumbling and be God's people. So here's the test that God eventually gives them. The Israelites, uh, he says to them, I will give you quail and I will give you manna. So they have meat, that's the quail. And then he gives them this other stuff called manna that literally means, what is it? And so they never figured out what it was, considering that's what all of Scripture says. Most of the rest of Scripture talks about manna as bread. Um, So what we know about manna is that it came from the dew each morning. And so they were instructed to go out and gather it each morning just as much as they needed, double before the Sabbath, so that they could use the sabbath to honor god and rest so there were strategic and efficient folks part of the israelites people that are like me i probably would have done this and they said you know if we just go out once a week we could just gather a whole bunch of this we'd only have to do it once it would be great Except, that was not what God had instructed, and so God designed the manna. He created the manna in such a way that they couldn't do that. So he said, go out each morning and gather just as much as you need. And so he made it so that if it wasn't gathered, uh, it would melt away when the sun came out. And if they saved it longer than they were supposed to, the manna would actually end up spoiling In fact, the only manna that survived is some manna that got saved in a jar and eventually made its way to the Ark of the Covenant. And it was supposed to serve as a reminder for the rest of time about this test that God had given the people. And so this manna eventually helps the Israelites live for their entirety of the time in the wilderness, 40 years. And so this test matters in terms of of a whole generation of people surviving. And so God's test is essentially, can they go out every morning and do what I've instructed them to do? Collect what I've given them. Collect what I have provided for them. It seems easy enough. God's plan is pretty straightforward. His goal isn't to trick anyone. He's not rooting for them to fail. He's giving them provision. But it it comes with some pretty specific purposes. The first thing that it says here is that, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God tested them because he heard their grumbling. And this seems like such an obvious thing to say, of course, God, here's my grumbling. We should know that, Right? But this is an important distinction because you'll remember that earlier in the text it said that the Israelites were complaining to Moses and Aaron. So yet it got directed to God. So all the people, um, it sort of might feel like that moment when the person with really good hearing in your life hears something they weren't supposed to hear. Um, That person in my life has been my sister Okay, She has bat-like hearing uh, That's what I call it So I'd be talking to my mom in one room Complaining about something my sister had done Because I'm a youngest child And that's what you're supposed to do as a youngest child Complain about your siblings So I'm complaining about my sister saying She did that, she did this And all of a sudden I hear my sister halfway across the house Scream, that's not true (laughs) It's the worst <laughs> and so I'm in that moment like that is not fair it's not fair that you hear me uh, but the reality is is that I thought that I was grumbling to my mom about my sister but I was actually just grumbling to my sister without her in the room so when God hears their grumbling when he says I have heard your grumbling it's this moment where the Israelites thought that their toxic attitudes everything they were putting out to their leaders were going we going just to the leaders and turns out they find out it's going straight up to the big guy upstairs you know So God says, Your grumbling is against me, not against Moses and Aaron. I don't know who you think you're complaining to. And so, if they dug beneath the surface of their grumbling, uh, I think what they would really be saying is God, why are you doing this? God, I thought that you had rescued me. God, why doesn't this look like what we had thought? I thought you had delivered us. What's the plan here? So God makes it clear that he has come to them with an answer. He brings the cloud and everything, everything that he is, in all of his glory to reveal himself in power, not just giving them a provision of food. They thought they were grumbling about their circumstances to their leader, but they found out they were actually grumbling to God about his plans and his ways and how dissatisfied they were. They thought they were saying, Moses, you're not measuring up. But they're actually saying, God, you haven't given us what we wanted or what we expected, They thought they were grumbling out there, out to the world, where it didn't matter. And turns out they were grumbling to the creator of all things. And he has heard them. My sister and her bat-like hearing isn't the most intimidating when I think about what it means that God hears my grumbling too. Sometimes I find it a little bit ironic that I work in a church now. Uh, Because for a good hearty season of my life, uh, I would attend church every single week, and in my 15-minute drive home, I would complain about everything I encountered at the church service. I loved coming to church. It was, that wasn't the issue. Uh, but actually worse, I loved grumbling about what didn't meet my expectations at church. And, and really it was endless. I didn't like the song lyrics. I didn't like how uppity that song was. It was too much a performance. I didn't like what the sermon said. It was too long, too short, missed a point. Like all these different things that I had a problem with. They needed to offer this class or this thing to those people. Um, they should preach that sermon to those people. All of those. It goes on and on and on. And I thought that I was grumbling against a pastor maybe or a worship leader. Uh, Sometimes I would say, I'm just grumbling towards the church or an institution to make myself feel better. But even at the end of the day, no matter who I was grumbling to, no matter what institution or organization my grumbling was directed at, I was grumbling towards God. And of all the beautiful things in the world that God has created, the church has to be one of the most spectacular, and every single week I would leave spitting on that gift that God had given to me. And so how often do we feel in similar places? When when church doesn't meet our expectations, we self-righteously grumble, and what we're actually saying is, God, I don't respect what you have given me. When our jobs are difficult and we grumble, what we're actually saying is, God, you should have given me something easier or at least more lucrative, When our kids mess up and we can't figure them out and we grumble, like, how do I do this? What we're actually saying to God is, you should have given me an easier kid. You should be whipping them into shape. When our sin and our bad habits creep into our life and we just can't beat them and we grumble about how hard life is, what we're saying is, God, you're not worth it. And when that person who just bucks the snot out of you is in the room and you grumble about it in your head or out loud, what we're actually saying is, God, I don't like what you've created When we grumble towards the world, no matter where it is directed, we are ultimately grumbling towards the creator God. But God doesn't just give a test to the Israelites. He hears their grumbling, and then he does it all with this very specific purpose. They shall know that he is the Lord, their God. This isn't the, and I will introduce myself to you. This is the just wait until your father gets home kind of introduction. This means that God's provision is of food isn't just saying, like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were hungry, you should have grumbled louder. That's not what God is saying here. It was a strategic provision so that they could have a right understanding of God. It was a plan to clean out the toxic, to get rid of the leftovers in the fridge. Do these things, walk with me in this way, follow these provisions, the way that I provided for you. Do these things, and I will give you a fresh perspective of who I am. You will know me. It was a constant reminder that their life, everything that was provided for them, was from God. He alone was sustaining them. It wasn't Moses, it wasn't Aaron, it wasn't some freak weather scientific thing with the manna it was the lord god who is providing for them so if the israelites toxic grumbling uh, isn't which leads to like this terrifying encounter with yahweh the lord god isn't enough to convince you that grumbling is a toxic thing for us to do with our lives it's littered all throughout scripture we can see it in the book of philippians where it says this work out your own salvation with fear and trembling that's the whole cloud fear and glory thing for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So here we get a pretty clear picture that says grumbling is part of a crooked and twisted generation. It's directly opposed to being people of God. And Paul uh, was writing this to the Philippians because they had a hard life. They had deep suffering that they were encountering. counting. Paul himself was in prison, and he was telling them that they needed to learn how to manage that kind of pain, that kind of hard stuff, because if they choose to grumble... They will lose who they are. Grumbling is a twisted response to a twisted world, and it changes the way that we see things. They'll lose sight of God and who they were created to be. And so, what He's offering them here is a different path—a path to hope, an opportunity to be people who can speak hope in the midst of the gr- in the midst of the grumbling, in the midst of what's toxic in the world, in the midst of what can feel unsettled. But I want to clarify that again: when we're talking about grumbling, we're not talking about good feedback we're not talking about improving a system with our with our opinions and that's that's not what we do and that's not what the Israelites were doing it was a repeated offense a repeated rebellion Paul, Paul calls it a blemish in this passage he says this is the flaw that will not go away this isn't good feedback this is the flaw that we will continue to trip over time after time the flaw that will spread toxic rot from everything in the world So grumbling is part of the crooked and twisted generation. Living in a grumbling lifestyle is a twisted way to live that doesn't lead to being people of God. It's this wake-up call to know and fear the Lord, a wake-up call to get out of the twisted way of thinking. So if we see grumbling as toxic in the wilderness and in the New Testament, how do we reconcile that with the fact that grumbling, sometimes it just feels good? The reality is when something doesn't go my way, grumbling has real power. Something is hard, grumbling is cathartic. It feels satisfying to turn to the person next to you and name out loud your unmet expectations. But man, that slope is slippery. It's like an infection. Grumbling, uh, it attacks a listener. It invites them to join in. It's almost like you can't resist it sometimes uh, because they've been exposed. You've been exposed to this toxic thing. It's magnetic, it pulls people in. And like quicksand, the farther you go in, the harder it is to get out. And suddenly, every single time you leave church, you're grumbling. It's an insatiable desire. And I think part of this is because grumbling is layered with entitlement. Grumbling is sort of choosing to float yourself above a situation or a reality and looking down at it in judgment, assuming that you know the right answer. It's looking down and assuming that you know something better. Um, There could be no other answer. And grumbling is choosing to stay distant from something that bothers you because you'd rather grumble than acknowledge your dissatisfaction, your disappointment, your pain. This is the moment that you read something political on your newsfeed, uh, and it ticks you off and we get to that point where we grumble to ourselves or whoever's in the room, how could they think that? How could could they come to believe that? It's these people who are ruining it for the rest of us. It's easier to grumble and scroll through our news feed than it is to stop and grieve the fact that we're so divided. It's easier to grumble than ask, I wonder why they think something different than me. Grumbling is an entitled response. It says we have claim to something that we do not have claim to. It puts your feelings first. It puts our feelings first instead of putting God first as the creator. It makes us the infection in the room. It puts you at odds with people around you. And worst of all, it messes with your relationship with God. At the end of the day, no matter where your grumbling is pointed to, no matter who it's pointed at, you are grumbling towards the creator who has provided all things. If we become the kind of Christians who grumble, we only invite ourselves into a toxic lifestyle of grumbling, void of knowing the Lord God, the whole point of being on earth. And the fate of that isn't good. Uh, part of what God does to people who grumble is he destroys what is crooked and toxic. We cannot be blind to what God is doing in the world for what he has provided to us. We have to respond with the kind of hope and gratitude that Paul is talking about in Philippians. That's why they said they have to respond with the light to the darkness. The light to what is crooked and twisted. And so I I don't think it's a coincidence that today is Palm Sunday. And today we start the Holy Week. So Palm Sunday is the celebration of Jesus being ushered in on a donkey saying this is the triumphal entry of the king who will save us all. And Holy Week recognizes the last week on earth that Jesus lived. And might we be reminded that Jesus didn't have a shortage of grumbling either. We hear in John 6, the Jews grumbling. It says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus tells all of these Jews, all of these these good Jews who would have known the story, they still were God's chosen people. He says, you know the story. I am the bread of life. I am coming as the fulfillment of everything that God has provided for you. So don't be so dense that you forget what happened to the people in the wilderness. Don't be so dense that you forget that their grumbling killed them. Jesus comes as the bread of life, and he will give life to the rest of the world, God's ultimate provision to humanity. And yet, Jesus' death is littered with grumbling. Hordes of people who called called themselves God's people, who called themselves followers of Jesus, um, who who sat there and spit on Jesus, who grumbled against him, who denied the creator and ultimately killed the perfect provision that God had given us, who was in the flesh. May we never become the grumbler that we cannot see the creator looking us in the face. And I know that when it comes to this idea of grumbling, it doesn't always feel like that big of a deal. We can rationalize it, we can justify it, we can say... I know that grumbling isn't the best, but it's not like I murdered someone. It's not like I stole something. It's not like I'm tied up in sexual immorality. But at the end of the day, that's just not true. Grumbling is a hidden infection that festers and messes with everything around it. The, the Israelites' grumbling was one thing, okay? They were following what felt like this mystical cloud thing in the wilderness. And so, so much of what they knew about God was probably being afraid of who God was because of all of his glory in the cloud. And the other half was just feeling like, you're always saying, I guess we'll just take Moses' word for it. And even then, their grumbling was toxic. It was twisted and crooked. And so one, God created a daily routine for them to go out and set them on the right path. But two, God uh, punished people for their grumbling. God does not let the twisted and crooked live. That's not what he's in the business of doing. And you and I, we live in a completely different time. We live in this generation where Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has given us 24-7 access to the living God. We can come face-to-face with Jesus. We can kneel at the throne of the creator of the universe. We have the spirit living inside of us giving us never-ending unity and assurance of who God is and that we are God's people. And yet, and yet, our toxic attitudes, our toxic grumbling thoughts and words usher in a toxic darkness that just makes the world rot around us, turning it into the thing it was never made to be. We spend more time putting ourselves on the throne, putting ourselves in charge, thinking we know better than letting the living God be in the only place that he deserves to be in the throne. And God is sitting there in the throne waiting and longing for us to know him as Yahweh in all of his glory so that his glory would be made known to the ends of the earth. So what do you grumble about? Do you grumble about your circumstances, your job, your coworkers, your kids, your marriage, your your financial situation? Do you grumble about your slow progress, that habit you can't quit, the thing you can't improve, that benchmark you can't meet, that expectation you can't satisfy? Do you grumble about the climate of the world, the nightly news, the negative posts, the lack of program for whatever ailment could solve your problem? What do you grumble about? And what are you saying to God? As we talk about next steps, we have to acknowledge that in our grumbling about creation, we are grumbling to the creator about what he has or has not provided for us. He has already heard your grumbling. So we have to choose to point ourselves towards God so that we can know him. He will help you write a better story. He will help you write a story of hope, one that brings solid ground to what unsettles you. We can choose hope in the midst of toxic grumbling. We can choose hope and choose to be grateful towards God, the provider. One of the best ways to do that is that when you're tempted to grumble, we can look and see God as creator and provider, and we can be grateful. And gratitude it's not a foreign concept. It's actually kind of trendy right now. The idea that we need to look at the, at the world around us and be grateful for what we have, despite how hard parts of life can be. And that's more than just a trendy response. It's a biblical mandate. Gratitude is praise. Gratitude is hope. Gratitude is saying to the world that is already twisted and crooked, I don't need to add to it. I can add the antidote. I can shed light on what is crooked and twisted, and I can, I can show hope to the world. It puts God back on the throne. It points to Him and says, I see you as Creator and as the one who has given all things. Thank you that in the midst of that, in the midst of all of my brokenness, you have chosen to create me. And it's the way that we show real life to the grumblers around us. People who don't know God don't know anything but grumbling. We can show them something better. This is the way that we make God's ultimate provision of Jesus known to the ends of the earth. That's one of the greatest parts about a daily devotional. Um, It's this time, this set-apart space where you can spend time with God. And instead of looking through your day with um, with the lens of grumbling, you can look through your day with the lens that God is provider. And if you don't know what that looks like, just pick up one of our devotionals on your way out today. They're short. They give you simple and meaningful things to do every day so that you can reorient yourself towards God and what he has provided. And this week, the entire devotional walks through Holy Week. It walks through Jesus' last week on earth because if we don't understand what Jesus has done for us, we will never know how to offer hope and light to the rest of the world. And if you want a way to remember what it means to be God's people, come to our Good Friday services this weekend. The service that, we have, that we've made for you is designed to watch people grumble all throughout the biblical story. To see how um, God had been providing and how they responded. And yet in all of God's mercy, he still provided Jesus. He still let himself be subject to torture and crucifixion. And so come to our services and remember what he has provided for you. We can choose hope in the midst of toxic grumbling. We can choose to be the people who speak hope to a twisted and crooked generation. And this isn't, this isn't just a Pollyanna attitude. This isn't looking at the world with rose-colored glasses. It's not naive. If we become the people who grumble, we become what is twisted and crooked. We grumble ourselves into the lie that we would rather be back in slavery. slavery. We would rather be separate from God. We would rather be out, without hope. When the God we follow is in the business of pulling people out of what is twisted and crooked. God is in the business of pulling people out of the pit of the muck and mire. It's his very nature to do that. And to grumble is to live in opposition to that. We have to come to him with gratitude so that every person on the planet who is stuck in what is twisted and crooked. Who is stuck in what is the muck and mire of the world. So that they can reach out a hand and be pulled from the very same thing that you have been pulled from. So that they can receive the same living hope of the creator of the universe and if we as Christians if we become the kind of people that can that can wrestle through the mess that is grumbling we can become aware of what's beneath that and point ourselves towards God the creator everything changes If we do that, being a Christian wouldn't mean that people believe in some magic higher power that paints everything perfectly in the world, but instead Christians would be the kind of people who live in the now and not yet when everything's not as it should be. We can grieve the hard stuff appropriately. We can sit in what's unsettling because we can dive beneath what's cynicism and what's grumbling because we live with such a hope that encountering hard, encountering the painful isn't a paralyzing thing to do. Christians would be the people that wouldn't just complain about something but they would be the people who would be mobilized to actually change it and so that people could see where God is providing where God is offering hope where every part of creation is declaring that there is a creator who created that thing and that person there are people in this world that all they know is something that is twisted and crooked that's all they know And if we can engage with the hard parts of life appropriately, if we can proclaim to people that there is something worthwhile there, a space where we can come face-to-face with the creator, we can proclaim hope in the midst of what is toxic, we can become a great cloud of witnesses who we were created to be and proclaim who the creator is to the end of the earth so that every single person would be able to encounter the exact same hope that you have experienced. We are called to respond to God's merciful provision with hope. May it be so. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for all that you have provided for us, for the ways that you continue to stick with us despite our grumbling and our rebellion, that in your mercy you still choose to send the bread of life to us. Would we live our lives in such a way that everything we say and do would honor what you have provided for us? Would the hope that you have given us just seep out of us wherever we go, casting light on darkness, proclaiming that there is hope and light, something worth living for. Help us to see and hear you so clearly that we cannot help but testify about your greatness, about your goodness. Would we become the people you have created us to be, that we can approach you with fear and awe, and in that we could declare your glory to the ends of the earth. Amen.